You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 90. Today's reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Brethren, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And now at my amen. I have a hard time not ending that passage with amen. But this is the first uh, time that we've discussed Philippians, and certainly much that we could discuss today. But to begin, Father, maybe some background on this epistle would be helpful. Yeah, great place to start. The city of Philippi was an important and strategic city in the Roman Empire. Modern-day Macedonia is where it was located. And so this appears to be the first church that was established on what we would now call European soil. And most likely also, it was inhabited entirely by Gentiles. And so this is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, churches established and occupied entirely by Gentiles. So in other words, no Jews who would have been part of this community. And then of further importance, perhaps symbolically in this case, is that the city was named after the father of Alexander the Great, which was Philip II of Macedon. And why do you say that that would have been of symbolic importance, the fact that Philippi had been named after the father of Alexander the Great? Well, Alexander the Great was the father of the Roman Empire, so Philip is like the grandfather, we could say. And so to establish a post, a church community in that part of the empire, allows you to spread the seed of the gospel throughout other areas via Philippi. Philippi was like a miniature Rome or a major strategic location for the Romans. It was the home to many Roman soldiers at that time, so they would be called out all over the empire at various times and, of course, then could take with them that gospel message. So, again, to establish a church community there, you plant that seed to then be spread into other parts of the Roman Empire. And why is that important to Paul? Why is he wanting to spread the the seed throughout the Roman Empire? Well, remember, as we've discussed before, the strategy of Jesus and Paul after him and the early Christians, especially the biblical authors, was to fight the Roman Empire, but to fight it peacefully. In other words, to fight back against the religion and philosophy and ideology of Rome, but to do that by spreading the peaceful message of the gospel that tells you ultimately to sit down at the table of fellowship with the person that was your enemy, because you all stand or fall before the same one God. And this was contrary to both the way of the Romans and the way of the Jewish zealots in Jerusalem and the surrounding region. How so, Father? What was different here? We've spoken several times, I'm sure we will again someday in the future, about the Jews and the desire that they had for a violent rebellion to overthrow the Roman occupation of Jerusalem. Jesus was not accepted by the vast majority of the Jews of his time for this reason. He was not the type of Messiah that they sought. 
they sought after, by and large, a political, military leader to be their Messiah. This is why, I believe we've discussed it, Barabbas was accepted instead of Jesus. Remember, his name meant son of the father. He led a rebellion against the Romans. This is what the people were seeking. But Jesus' message was obviously different. You conquer the enemy by making the enemy your brother. And then for the Romans, they too sought to conquer by the sword. They're known for that historically. It's how every empire comes to be an empire, it seems, is via the sword. And beyond that, it was not just that they conquered by the sword, but they were forceful about pushing on their new subjects their own culture, their own language, their own philosophy, going back to Alexander the Great. We often refer to this today as the rise of Hellenism. And so the gospel message is against these ideas of the Jews of Jesus' time and then the Romans, this idea of Hellenization as well. And specifically, the gospel is against using the sword. Jesus said, remember, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And he himself, as Paul mentioned in today's reading, suffered the humiliation of the cross for this purpose, avoiding the sword. And the gospel is anti-Hellenization. You do not force Jews to become Gentiles, neither do you force Gentiles to become Jews. As I mentioned earlier, you sit at the same table of fellowship under the one and only God as a Jew or as a Gentile. Today you sit at that same table of fellowship as an American or Chinese. Whatever your background is, your nationality, your ethnicity, You don't need to change your ethnicity, your homeland, to follow the gospel. You adhere to the message as you are who you are. You simply change the way that you live, the way that you behave, not who you are ethnically or your nationality. Thank you for that background on Philippi and and its historical and the strategic importance, Father. As it relates to the book of Philippians in St. Paul, is it accurate that St. Paul was in prison there? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. It's a good way to conclude kind of, you know, this intro that we're doing to Philippians. So Paul was indeed in prison there. And as we read in this book, Philippians, the first chapter, he was really unsure whether he would come out of jail dead or alive. So some scholars have pointed out that Philippians, in a sense, is really like Paul's last testament or his will. And that's why he introduces Timothy, again in chapter 1, as what we might call his heir apparent, the one to take over in his place if and when he dies. So Paul's writing to his disciples for what he believed could be the final time. And for this reason, he really wants to hit some of the most important and crucial points of his gospel message. Speaking of that, it seems to me there are some very profound and important theological implications that are found in our reading today. Just reading it can make you feel the weight of what Paul is saying, or at least it does for me. Would you discuss these points uh, in Philippians 2 and and what Paul's message is here? Yeah, this passage you read, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is sometimes referred to as the hymn of the Philippians. And the reason for that is speculation that this passage was something recited or sung by the church of Philippi. And some speculate that perhaps Paul included that hymn in his epistle, while others argue that Paul himself was, in fact, the author of this hymn, and it first appeared in his epistle. And in either case, you know, I don't really want to debate uh, that it's not particularly useful for what we're doing, other than to highlight that clearly what you read today has been considered an important passage historically. And what do you think is of key importance in this passage? 
several things. Uh, again, here we have some argumentation about what certain things mean. For example, uh, scholars and, and theologians argue about what it means to say that Jesus uh, was in the form of God. Interesting. What is the argument? It seems to be a reference to Jesus being the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, as, as we would say. Yeah, certainly that's one of the arguments. Another is that this language of being in the form of God is language that was used for the kings in the ancient city-states, or by Paul's time, Roman emperors or other rulers who were considered themselves to be divine and or to speak with divine authority. So then in either case, it's clear what Paul is saying is that Jesus speaks with divine authority, that he has the authority of God behind him and his words and his teaching. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. But just as important as that and something uh, we don't want to miss here in this passage is what Jesus did with that authority. Would you elaborate on that, Father? Jesus uses his divine authority much differently than the kings and the rulers of this world. In fact, he used his divine authority as the new Adam, as Paul mentions elsewhere, much differently than the first Adam. And specifically, Jesus used his authority to humble himself, to empty himself, to pour out himself and his love for others that they may live through his sacrificial death. And Paul is clearly alluding here in this passage to the suffering servant of Isaiah the prophet and how that suffering servant, the Messiah of God, would empty himself and act as a sacrificial lamb for the guilty, even though he himself was without stain or fault. And then finally, I would want to point out that Paul says Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even unto death on a cross. And what specifically about that do you want to highlight, Father? Well, specifically the part about how Jesus was humbled. We often like to think of that uh, term humble or being humble in nice terms. But to be humbled means literally that one was humiliated. Not such a pleasant term in, in, in the way that we think about it, and that's the way it was meant to be. And I've highlighted many times how Jesus' deepest suffering from a biblical perspective is the suffering of humility, of being humiliated, the willingness to suffer dishonor. And again, humiliation, the emphasis is on that in the Bible and not on the physical suffering. And why do you think it's important to keep emphasizing this, besides the fact uh, that it's the emphasis of the Bible? Well, because the, as followers of Christ, we're mistaken to think that we have to suffer physically to follow in Jesus' footsteps. You know, maybe we will suffer physically, maybe we won't. Uh, certainly we know that all of the martyrs suffered physically. But there again, the primary suffering is not the physical suffering, but the humiliation. They're being humiliated for standing up for the gospel message. And we too will be humiliated if we stand up for that message, if we stand up for the outcast of society and the outcast, quite frankly, often of our religious communities. If we stand up for those who are poor and needy, if we stand up for what is right versus what the societal zeitgeist teaches us. Now, we might not, again, suffer physically. It's beside the point. We must be willing to suffer shame and humiliation by those who are in power. And you see, that is the practical implication of today's reading for us as Christians. If we're to be followers of Christ, then we cannot behave like the kings and the leaders and the rulers of this world who care about using their power and authority to uplift themselves and to look good in the sight of others. We must instead be like Jesus, 
again willing to suffer shame and humiliation and ridicule for following his teaching, to empty ourselves in love of and sacrifice for our neighbor. Thank you, Father. Today's reading from Philippians provided us an opportunity to discuss some of the context surrounding this epistle. Father Aaron explained that the church in Philippi was likely the first church founded in Europe. Also of interest is that this church was most likely made up of Gentiles only. The location of the city also made it strategically important and was an ideal place for a church community, which allowed the gospel to spread throughout the surrounding region. We then discussed the importance of spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Contrary to how empires would seek to conquer by the sword, Jesus brought a message of peace, which teaches us to sit at the table of fellowship with our enemy and make them our brother. We also touched on Paul's imprisonment in Philippi and how he may have viewed this letter as his last will and testament, his final opportunity to write to his disciples. And one critical point Paul stresses is about the divine authority of Jesus. And unlike the earthly kings of this world, rather than conquer by the sword, Jesus used his authority to humble himself. To be humbled is to be humiliated. And Father reminded us that Christ's deepest suffering was not physical, but rather it was the suffering of shame and dishonor. We too must realize that we do not have to suffer physically to follow the gospel message, but we must be willing to suffer shame and humiliation when standing up for the poor and the outcast, to be willing to empty ourselves sacrificially for love of our neighbor. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.